Purpose Church Online, Chris Brown here. Man, it is so, so good to be back with you online and then live this weekend at Purpose Church. I know right now, 90% of you are like, who is that? Where's Glenn? Where's the rest of the team? How come we got a guest speaker on this? Well, let me tell you, I'm not really a guest. Purpose Church is my home church. You see, a little over 20 years ago, I was the youth pastor at Purpose Church for about seven years. Your church gave me so much grace, so much mercy, so much training, so much patience. And that's why the other 5% of you are like, man, we remember you. It's so good to see you. You used to be a lot thinner. And the other 5% of you are like, I can't believe you're still in ministry or not in prison. Who let you out? And I I tell you, God has been amazing these last 20 years. Let me give you a little snapshot of my family for the 10% of you that know me, like me, or don't care. Here they are. Amy is now just as gorgeous as ever, but she's now the shortest one in our family. Selah is 21. You know what that means. I know what that means, but she loves the Lord. So we'll see. Karis is 19 years old, and Bear, my little man cub, he is 16 years old, and he can whoop us all. That is the family. Get them off the screen because they're embarrassed. I didn't ask permission. That was a Mother's Day video um, or picture that was most recent. I just want to give you guys a glimpse. For the 10% of you that still remember us, that's what the Brown family looks like right now. Hey, now, now that I get to come back for a weekend, I just want to say this. Congratulations. Congratulations. I know the pandemic put a pause on the 150th anniversary. I know that's coming up this fall, but I want to be one of the voices this year that just comes alongside and go, way to go, church. Way to go, my home church. Um, amazing. 150 years in Los Angeles County. Not just to survive as a church, but to thrive as a church. I started thinking, what was happening back in like 1870 or the 1870s? I don't remember it because I wasn't around. Some in the first service may remember. So I started to Google it. I started to look it up and go, let's go back and remember the 1870s. You want to take a fun little journey with me together? When your church was just launched and starting, here's what was happening in those first couple years around it. Thomas Edison applied for his very first patent. In the next few years, the phonograph, the telephone, the light bulb would all be invented. One of those not by him, that's trivia for you. Mark Twain published The Adventures of Tom Sawyer back in the 1870s. The 1870s were ruled in the West by Jesse James, Wild Bill Hickok, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp, Calamity Jane. In fact, the James Gang pulled off the first successful train robbery when your church opened its doors. They needed churches back then. We have guys like Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel George Custer, Custer's last stand against Crazy Horse. We have golf's ever first hole-in-one recorded. It happened in Scotland. The Great Chicago Fire happened in the 1870s. Yellowstone became our first national park. Helium was detected for the first time. Don't know why I threw that in there. I just thought it was odd for the geeks among us. We like that kind of stuff. Louisa May Alcott published Little Women. My wife asked me to throw that in there. Carlos Glidden and Christopher Latham Scholes received a patent for their invention of the first commercially successful typewriter that started to be mass produced in the 1870s. Luis Arthur Ducos Duhair, and I probably botched every one of his five names, patented the first method of color photography. Colorado becomes our 38th state. Way to go, Colorado. Thanks for receiving all the Californians over the last 10 years. First professional baseball league started here in the United States. The refrigerated vehicle was patented by William Davis, a fish dealer out of Detroit. Before he got a refrigerated vehicle patented, he was a very stinky fish dealer outside of Detroit. And a standard uniform was approved for U.S. postal carriers. So why did you add that? Because a standard uniform was approved for U.S. postal carriers 
on Halloween. I just thought that was a fun little tidbit of information. All of that seems like so long ago. But that's when a little Baptist church in LA County opened its doors and said, let's make a dent for the kingdom of God in the culture around us. What was core to our country back then when your church started? What was the very fabric of our nation when your church first opened the doors? I tried to figure out where do I find what's core, what's fabric, and I started Googling and looking at Supreme Court. And around 150 years ago, the Supreme Court, Vidal versus Gerard's ex ex executors, US 126-132, the United States Supreme Court agreed in a unanimous opinion read by Justice Joseph Story, and it ruled as followers, as followers. The Bible, and especially the New Testament, without note or comment, must be read and taught as a divine revelation in our schools. Its general precepts expounded, its evidences explained, and its glorious principles of morality inculcated. Was that amazing? A little over 150 years ago, our Supreme Court unanimously said, we must be teaching the word of God, specifically the New Testament in our schools. About 140 years ago, Church of the Holy Trinity versus the United States, a powerful ruling by our Supreme Court chronicles Christianity's central role in the United States. Chief Justice said, our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of our Redeemer of mankind, Jesus Christ. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in this sense, and to this extent, our civilization and all of our institutions are emphatically Christian. Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of New York said, the people of this state in common with the people of this country profess the general doctrines of Christianity as the rule of their faith and practice. We are a Christian people and the morality of the country is deeply engrafted upon Christianity and not upon the doctrines or worship of those imposters of other religions 150 years ago. Wow, a lot has happened since the first people at Purpose Church started showing up with a purpose. And so I wanna come and give a congratulations, but I also wanna come today and, and give an encouragement, not how you survive the next 150 years. I have no clue how you do that. Here's what I wanna give you an encouragement, how you can survive and thrive the next 15 years because we live in a different world, do we? We read the rulings of our chief justices in our Supreme Court of our land and go, they were that openly, unabashedly, unashamed, promoting the teaching of the New Testament that we will be a Christian nation of all institutions. Wow, what has happened? I tell you what has happened. Culture and the country we live in are no longer a God-centered or godly culture or country. And what has happened is a lot of Christians are losing their mind and losing their hair over this. They're losing their joy. They're losing their contentment. They're losing their peace. And we've forgotten our focus. We've forgotten our purpose. <laughs> our purpose. I wasn't around when you guys changed the name. I still call it PFB. It was Pomona First Baptist. It was on all of our buses, all of our vans. Every time we rode into a camp or rode into a beach and people saw the buses and all these kids filing out, they panicked, picked up shop. They went somewhere else. We would take over places. Man, it's always Pomona First Baptist. I have no idea what kind of craziness went on with a name change, but I love it. I love this church isn't gonna be affiliated with what people or culture believe of Baptists, but man, they're gonna be people of purpose. People of purpose. 
Where do you find that? Christian, let me ask you, how do you hold on to your wits, to your faith, to your joy, your peace, your contentment when everything around you is going to pieces? How do you do that in a culture today that is very, very different than the one your church was founded in? Well, here's what I did. And I say did because this happened in my life. We'll get to it recently. I had to go back to a guy that almost lost his way. I had to go back to a guy that was about to throw in the towel. I had to go back and sit with a guy that said, let me tell you when I almost gave up on Christianity because of the culture I live in. Hmm. And that's what we're gonna look at today. For some of you, it'll be encouragement. That's why I have joy. That's why I have peace. That's why I have contentment in this chaos today. For others of you, I hope you're gonna find the reason why you can sleep at night, the reason why you can be alone and like who you are, and the reason why you can truly say, I'm a person of purpose. Not just the church I go to, but in my heart and in my mind, I have joy. I have contentment. I have peace. The fruits of the spirit are real, not just something on a doily or hanging on the refrigerator. They are alive in me because I'm not letting this culture dictate my calling. To do that, open your Bible. It's Psalm 73. Go to the very middle of the Bible. Psalms, there's 150 of them. So you're gonna flip it and find it. If you like flipping around, look for Psalms. But I gotta warn you, it starts with a P. So look for P Psalm. P Psalm 73. Right in the middle of your Bible, Psalms 73. As we jump into this, I'm gonna read the first two verses, then I'm gonna tell you the man behind the story. First two verses, Psalm 73. I'll wait, you're at home. This isn't spectator sport. You don't show up and watch it. We get our Bible, we study it, we read it. Look at how much writing, circle, highlight, underline are in Psalm. We just got 3D in church. First time Purpose Church had 3D. Look at all the writing in there. Use it as a textbook. So go ahead. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, go ahead and pause this, go get one, and then come back and we're gonna study this. All right, now we can go. Psalm 73, verse one, simply says this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. And right there, I wanna stop and go, who is this and where is he coming from and why should I care? So many times we read scripture and we forget real people in real times and real place. They're in real situations. The Bible is begging us, go back there. Stop viewing this as old, just scripture. Stop viewing this as old literature from ancient times. This is how God worked with people back then. So we know how God works with us today. Who's writing this and why? Well, if you look in your Psalms, it says this is a Psalm of Asaph. Who is, who is Asaph? Who's the man behind the story? I'm glad you asked. In your notes, I don't have anything written for you. You just have to write it. But here's what you know about Asaph. Asaph wrote 12 of these Psalms. Now that's pretty good. You're like, oh, that's not that impressive. Let me ask you a question. How much of the Bible did you write? Uh-huh. This guy didn't get a chance to write one, two, three, 12 Psalms. 12 Psalms in this book are written by this guy Asaph. So right up there, it puts you in some pretty elite class of people that have lived on this earth. Who else do you know that's written Bible? Mm -hmm. There's about 40 of them. This is one of those dudes. What else do you know about Asaph? When you read his story, he's uh, at the same time chronologically with King David. We're gonna find out he's the chief musician of the land. He's the chief musician. That's pretty good, isn't it? Chief musician of what? Israel? Who's Israel? God's chosen people. What do you call their land? The promised land? Who does God pick to be the chief worship leader for his kingdom, his nation? Uh-huh, Asaph. 
Asaph. The Bible will also say that he's a seer. Another word for that, it says he's a, he's a prophet. That's who this guy Asaph is. But man, this guy's a heavyweight when it comes to the Bible, leading God's people, who he is and, and what he's about. So with that in mind now, we can jump back in and take the text. When the nation comes to worship at the temple, Asaph's the guy in charge of the musicians. Asaph's the guy that's leading the choir. When the nation comes together for all of its holy holidays and all of its celebrations, Asaph is the dude up front. You ever show up to a party and Asaph is playing with the band, you know you've come to the elite of the elite. He is the chosen worship leader for the people of God. This guy carries some weight. And don't forget, He's written 12 pages of the Bible. This is Asaph. So if this is the guy, let's go back now and jump in and read these first two verses again. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And right away, I'm about to get bored of the Bible because it starts the way I think the Bible should. Surely God is good to those, to those who are pure in heart and those who love him and God loves them. And there's birds flying around and rabbits frolicking and there's a rainbow in the background and all is great for all people that are great and all people that love God. But then there's a dark cloud that comes over the scene, some thunder, some lightning strikes and everything turns hazardous as he writes this next line. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. Okay, look, I know God is good to those who follow him. But here's the day I almost threw in the towel. Here's when I almost slipped. Here's when I almost walked off the stage for the last time, got in my car, drove away, and I never came back. Have you ever been there? Do you ever know the first verse? Yeah, yeah, God is good and God loves those who love him, but... That's a great thing to give to our kids the color in second grade. It's really hard for an adult to hold on to when you live in this culture, isn't it? Yeah, I know God is good. I know he's a God of love. I know he's great, but I'm just done. I'm so tired of giving. I'm so tired of leading worship, leading worship, leading worship, and just being empty inside. This isn't some clown off the street. This is some guy that's brand new to the church going, I don't know what's going on here. This is the guy up front leading worship. This is the chief worship leader for God's people, Israel, God's people in the promised land. This is the guy. And he goes, you know, when the crowds leave on the weekend and I walk back to my office, I close the door behind me and people go, oh, you know, he's just talking to God after a great weekend. He goes, I'm not. I'm trying to talk myself into coming back next week because I'm just done. I feel like I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm pouring out, I'm trying and I'm just done. <laughs> Have you ever been there? If you've ever been there, he's about to give us a roadmap of how you got there how I got there two summers ago. A lot of stinking thinking going on in our brain. Before we get into this, I'm gonna tell you, this is gonna challenge some of you. You're really gonna wrestle with some of this. In fact, I want you to write it down this way, how that applies to us. I have to change the all about me, all about now attitude. And this is gonna hurt some of us. 
We live in a culture of Christianity. I'm not talking about our secular culture where we've got into this. It's all about me and it's all about now. God's blessings, God's goodness, God's love. Don't tell me heaven comes later or everything's gonna work out in the end or some things are just indescribable, undiscernible, but in heaven, it's all gonna make sense. Man, I just want to see some evidence in my life of God's blessing now. And this is where a lot of our frustration and depression comes in. What's the immediate call of Jesus? Jesus says, anyone can come after me. They first must uh deny themselves. The first thing you have to do to follow Jesus, Jesus made an open call constantly to the crowds. Anyone can come after me. You have to deny yourself. And then he goes, so it's gonna be easy? He goes, no, you gotta pick up your cross. He goes, you're gonna pick up the cross. Did everyone have to carry a cross with him? He goes, no, what I'm telling you, this is gonna be sacrifice. This is gonna be a challenge. And the disciples go, man, who can do this? And he goes, I tell you, anyone who wants to gain his life has to lose it. But anyone who loses his life for me and for the gospel will surely gain it. What, what, what good is it? What good is it to gain the entire world and to lose your soul? Jesus says, let me tell you what Christianity is. You have to lose your, oh, I got our, okay, our lives. We have to lose our lives to him. I surrender and lose it to him. Paul will write this in the New Testament and use a, a big word like this, just called citizenship. Paul being a Roman citizen, constantly loved using that word in his teaching. We're now citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is somewhere else. This is where you and I are gonna learn today. You wanna get your heart back? You wanna get your head back. You wanna get rid of some stinking thinking in your life? You wanna get back to a person of joy, contentment, peace. You want to get to back to be a person of patience, a person that's going to make a difference, a significance in those around them. I promise you, this is what we're going to be wrestling with. This is the call to Christianity. And yet in the last couple years, when it seems like all hell was breaking loose in our culture, heaven was lost with Christianity. Did you get that? When it seems like all hell was breaking loose in our culture, heaven seemed to be lost in Christianity. Christians got caught up in culture. Some of the most freaked out, angry people demanding what? Demanding their rights, demanding against their sacrifice, demanding their citizenship, demanding, and I know, man, I'm treading on things, but it's good to be a guest speaker. I don't have to see you face to face after this weekend. I'm just telling you, this is the state of our country. I have no idea what's going on inside of Purpose Church, but I bet you a lot of us are here, I've seen this. We lost something in Christianity the last couple of years. Don't, don't, don't tell me what the courts took away. Don't tell me what a pandemic or a pandemic took away. No, no, I'm saying as Christians, we've lost something in our heart. And Asaph says, this is where I was. I know God is good. I know the goodness of God. But for me, for me, I forgot this. And I got caught up in the culture of our day. Chris, where do you get that? Now that we've set the scene, I want us to jump in. I want us to tackle scripture here. Verse three, four, or because. Let me tell you how I lost my heart and my mind as a Christian. I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
They got no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their calloused hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows no limit. They scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up their waters in abundance. And then they say, well, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. They are always carefree and they increase in wealth. And there you have it. Asaph says, let me tell you my problem. When I look at what the world is doing, when I look at our politics, when I look at our leaders, when I look at our entertainment, when I look at our society, when I look at our medical, when I look at the, and this is what they're doing and they don't care and there's no love of God and there's no hope for God and they're mocking God and people are following and there's no truth in this land and no one gives and no one, and man, he's just getting riled up, isn't he? He goes, this is how I lost my foothold. This is exactly what happened to me. Oh, church, if you want to write it down, just write it down this way. Focusing on others can leave us depressed depressed 17 times he gives us the clue here he goes let me tell you i'm a man of god i've written bible i lead the people in worship but let me tell you how i lost my heart and head because i started to focus on them and what they're doing what they're saying the media and what i started watching the instagrams and the social media i started looking at what was happening in our schools and our churches and our government i started looking at man he just has his tirade doesn't he I stepped back and I just started circling the pronouns. I know I'm not much of an English geek. That doesn't surprise you. My grammar and my English is terrible. Theology would be pretty goodly, but my English sometimes not so much more so. I started circling just the pronouns. What in the world is happening here? Let me just read you the pronouns. I want you to do this on your own. Just circle the pronouns he has from verse three all the way through verse 12. Just see all the circles in my Bible? Let me just read you the pronouns. Asaph says, I'm a man of God, I'm a person of God. I've got a great position in the kingdom, but you know how I almost blew it? Here's what I focused on. They, their, they, they, their, they, their, their, they, their, they, their, 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 them, they, their. <laughs> 17 times. In nine verses. You know how the church lost its heart and its head over the last few years? Oh, don't give me the decisions that the pastors made. It wasn't about doors open and closed. It was about the heart of Christians. 17 times in nine verses, the leader of God's people said, this is how I almost lost it all. I just started being consumed by our culture and watching and listening to what them and they and they and what they were doing and what they were saying and what them were doing and what and them, they, 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 them, they, 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 17 times. And where did it leave you, church? Oh, so depressed. I'm so angry at our culture. I'm so angry at our politics. I'm even angry at our churches. I'm even angry at my local church. I don't like the decision we made here. I don't like it. It was just overwhelming, wasn't it? And Asaph as a church leader is like, I'm done. I'm done. It doesn't make a difference anyway. <laughs> and that's exactly where he took this. Look at his next verses. 
Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure. Why in the world am I struggling so hard with denying self, picking up cross, following Jesus, living not as a citizen here, but my citizenship is in heaven. Why am I doing this if this is how it's gonna live out? Surely in vain, I have kept my way pure. In vain, I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been plagued. I've been punished every morning. And if I had said, well, I will speak thus, or if I would have given in, then I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Do you see what he did? He went from focusing on others to focusing on himself. And I promise you, you want to get rid of your depression, start focusing on your life and what you're getting and what you deserve and what you should have gotten. And I promise you, focusing on ourselves can leave us disappointed. Disappointed. We have just gone from being depressed, looking at culture around us, and now we say, so why am I doing this? So why am I going here? So why am I doing? Why am I still giving? So why am I? Why did I? This surely in vain, I and mean, then I can't give in because I'm going to disappoint the people of God, and now I'm here, and I'm not getting what I deserved, and no one's happened to me, and I got, 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 see it? What happens? Man, he's gone right now to 11 times, 11 times in four verses. That's a terrible X. 11 times in four verses. 11 times what? Circle the pronouns. I, my, I, my, I, 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 me. 11 times. <laughs> How'd you do, Christian? Come out of these last two years. How'd you do? What was your scoreboard? If you were like me, I got consumed in the politics and news and social media and culture like never before. And part of me, I said, man, I have to. I have to keep on what's going on. Things are changing every week around here. We got Emperor Newsom saying stuff. I got government doing stuff. I got a county doing stuff. Am I supposed to open? Is it closed? How many people? Am I responsible if I bring the church all back together and a couple people get sick and actually die? How am I going to feel on that? How are you going to feel? Then I have to make decisions that nobody likes. I felt like in the life of North Coast, I've been down at this church now in San Diego County for 18 years. We have had year after year after year. We sit around the table and we've got like 10 or 20 good opportunities. And our job is just to pick the great one. In the last two years, we come to a table and I got 50 really, really bad opportunities. And I just got to try to choose one that doesn't get us all fired. Man, it's been a season. But how did you do? I looked at where I was and what I'm doing and what about me and what about my and my family and my kids and my spiritual and my, and he's done. He's moved from being incredibly depressed to now being incredibly disappointed with his life, his Christianity and his God. Have you been there? I tell you what gave me a glimmer of joy about Purpose Church. I'm not around there long enough anymore to know what's going on. But when I started looking at your sermon series, I saw multiple teachers happening there. Oh my gosh, my heart leapt <laughs> for for decades, for generations. Church has seemed to have this idea that the pastor's the one that has to speak. That's what we're paying him for. The pastor should speak all but maybe three or four weekends a year. I, I agree. If he's got a church of 20 people and they live on Little House on the Prairie and you exchange his services for eggs and some fresh bread every now and then, you've got a church of thousands in LA County. Do you know the size of the business that is? You know how hard it is to run a business of just that many employees, especially when your customers are broken people that sit out there every week? 
We've been teaching here for the last 15, 20 years, pleading with churches. Make sure your pastor's teaching somewhere between 30, maybe 35 weekends at the most. Unless you only want him to teach and you don't want him to lead. Because a leader and a, and a teacher can only do one of two things every week. Every week I'm teaching, I have a message in my head. What's my intro gonna be like? What's this passage about? How am I? That's always going in my head. The weekends I'm not teaching, I'm in the shower going, why does our website stink? Why, why do we have that drop-down menu? When do I have time to figure that out? I can't lead a large business and teach a large congregation on the exact same week. One of those has to give. Man, I loved when I looked online and said, wow, it looks like Glenn's finally getting some help. That dude has been there for 40, what, years for you guys? That is unheard of. I love that man with all my heart and soul. That guy gave me so much encouragement. In fact, he never once gave me discouragement. Seven years of being his youth pastor, I learned a lot of discouragement and I never got it from him. Not a single day. We used to do an annual review where I had to go to his office. For the first four, they were the exact same. Chris, oh my gosh, oh Chris, we just love you so much. Chris, you're amazing to have you. That's my Glenn impersonation. Most encouraging. I joked a couple years ago at your church. If Glenn ever met the devil, he'd encourage him. I mean, he'd make it clear I'm not for you. Like, like, hey, I'm against what you're doing, but he'd probably find a way. But your work ethic is amazing. I can't believe how you strive for what you do. I mean, Glenn just encourages everything. By my fourth annual review, I just told him, can you give me something to work on? Can you tell me something I'm doing that's not right or not good? And he goes, yeah, no, we're not gonna do that, Chris. I just love you. And I got up and walked out. And jokingly, I said, I'm not coming back until you give me some criticism. And he laughed thinking I would return and I didn't return. In my last three years, I never had an annual review. <laughs> Why? Because that guy loved me and I loved him. And his heart's just an encourager. I don't know where you guys are at. I don't know where Glenn's at with this. He may want to edit this whole thing out. But church, let me promise you, you want to keep a guy like that leading with his heart and his head. You make sure he's got a team of people around him that are teaching weekends for him so he can lead. He can't do both. <laughs> I love that the church has to take care of people and it starts with leadership. Asaph was dead, dead. And no one was stepping in saying, buddy, you gotta back this off. Buddy, how you doing? He's focusing on the world around him 17 times. Them, them, they, they, there. He's focusing on himself saying, why am I doing this? Two summers ago, in the midst of the pandemic and everything closed, flights weren't happening, emergency leave of country only. I get this little email that says the Yucatan Peninsula is opening up down in Mexico. They can't survive without tourism. And I'm like, no one's gonna travel right now. We were talking about May, <laughs> first May in the pandemic. I get another email saying, say all resorts will be open, but only at 30% capacity. Five days go on, apparently no one jumped on it. And I got another email that said, we're gonna take 70% off all-inclusive resort prices. And if you buy a week in the next five days, we'll give you another week free to use any time that year. I called the 800 number and I said, can I use that free week back to back? And they're like, what? I go, if I buy one all-inclusive week at 70% off, can I use the free week right there and just stay for 14 days at a resort that's only at 30% capacity? He's like, uh, I gotta find out, hold on a second. And he got back on the phone and he goes, yeah. And I booked it <laughs> without telling my wife. And I got home and I told Amy, hey, I just booked a trip. We're leaving in two weeks. 
And she's all, we're not going anywhere. Now you gotta understand, we see this pandemic as different as we can. Like I'm around hugging and kissing people. I don't care, I just love people. Amy has a quarantine taped off square in the garage for Amazon packages that come into the house. We see things a little different. She keeps our family safe and alive and I'm just going for it no matter what I'm doing. And she's all, there's no way we're leaving the home with these kids, there's no way we're traveling. And I remember looking at Amy saying, I gotta get out of here. For the first time in my life, I don't like my church. <laughs> my church. I lived here for the first three months of the pandemic and I only spent two weeks here. Seriously? I've poured my heart into this church for 15 years and I make a couple of decisions you don't like and you send me this letter and you get your family to pack up and move out of there? Do you know how much marriage counseling I've done with you and your wife? Do you know how much we put up with your 16-year-old in our youth ministries? And you don't like what we're saying about mask on or off at a gathering and now you're done with us? All I needed was about 20 or 30 of those before I threw in the towel. This is ridiculous. I'm wasting my time here. Now to church our size, we quickly started it up. We had about 400 families leave North Coast. We're a really large church. We can absorb that. But I couldn't let that go. That's on me. And I was done. And Amy took one bag of clothes, one bag of medicine. <laughs> we got on a plane that was empty. We flew down to Cancun. It was a ghost town. And I sat by a pool for four days and I didn't play with my kids. Mom kept telling them, dad just needs some time. You kids just play. There's no one else at the resort. And on day three, I curled up on that lawn chair and I brought out my textbook for life. And I found a page with a lot of writing, a lot of writing on it. And Asaph came walking by and he took the seat next to me. He goes, what are you doing down here, kid? And I said, I'm done, not with Christianity. I'm done with Christians. I'm done with this culture. None of it makes sense and it's not worth it anymore. He said, do you mind if I share with you? I'm like, sure. He said, what do you do? And I said, ironically, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm supposed to be helping people. And for the first time in my life, I think I know what depression is. Never had it before. But I'm eating scoops of it right now. I go, what do you do? And he goes, I'm the chief worship leader for Israel. I'm like, I've read some of your stuff, thanks. He said, no problem. He goes, can I show you how I almost threw it all away? And his words started walking me through what I needed to hear. I sat there with a pen in one hand, a gin and tonic in the, oh, it's a Baptist church still, isn't it? You're gonna judge me for that, edit that out. I don't care. I sat there with a pen in one hand, a gin and tonic in the other, and I curled up with the word of God for about six hours. And I just lived in this text. A lot's changed in our culture since your church has opened, hasn't it? You know what hasn't changed? Who our God is, what his promises are, and what he gives us. Hasn't changed. You know what I did? I went into one of the worst seasons of Christianity, and I consumed everything. Social media, media, news, Fox, CNN, MSNBC. I tried to watch both sides, and it was just agonizing. I couldn't find truth or common sense anywhere in culture. 
Everyone has an expert, everyone has a doctor, everyone has an opinion, and everyone's got 30 websites to back up their case. And I was just done. So I sat here for two weeks and I wondered why in the world am I doing what I'm doing? Did you go there? What does it matter anymore? Did you go there? And I said, Ace, what happened next? Mind if I call you Ace? He said, it's all right. He goes, here's what I did. Until verse 17, I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their destiny. It wasn't until I looked up, I understood how temporary my problems are that are consuming me. <laughs> He's all, Chris, it was your focus. You were focused on culture and then it got you to focus on yourself. And you know what happened? Culture killed your calling. That's what happened. And culture that we live in today will kill your calling as a Christian. You're gonna be salt, you're gonna be light. What are you gonna attract? More angry, bitter people, more depressed people. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. We're supposed to be the hands and feet and the joy, the contentment of Christ. What happened? Culture kills our calling. I got consumed by it. He goes, and it wasn't until I looked up and realized I've got to have an eternal perspective on this culture. I almost lost it. You see, surely, Lord, you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as mere fantasies. Are you catching the pronouns here, people? He's gone from them, them, they, they, them, them, they, they, them, them 17 times to himself, I, me, I, 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 me, me, my, I, 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 11 times to just getting ready to get done with Christianity. The whole thing, it's just a mess. It doesn't work. Why even do it? He goes, and then I decide to look up. And now, oh Lord, I have found you, 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 oh Lord, you, 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 oh Lord. He goes, when I change this perspective, now focusing on God will leave us delighted. Let me get this off the screen for you. We'll leave us delighted. I don't use that word much. Like, oh, I'm gonna be leaving you delighted. But it matched the other Ds I used with depressed and disappointed. So just deal with it. It's alliteration. But focusing on God is gonna leave us delighted. And then he goes, here's what it does. Number one, it gives us an eternal perspective. It gave me an eternal perspective. Holy cow. I, I thought my goal in life was to win a political party. And when I looked at God, God goes, no, your goal in life is to win people. You know what there's not gonna be in heaven? There won't be a single Democrat in heaven. There won't. You know why? Because there won't be a Republican in heaven. <laughs> there won't be Green Party in heaven. There won't be birthday party in heaven. You know what's gonna be in heaven? Those that know Christ. You know what's gonna be missing? Those that didn't. Those that didn't. He goes, Chris, you're getting so consumed in temporary things and it's robbing you of your calling. He goes, when I looked up God, oh, I realized I understood their final destination. I understood I'm getting caught up in the temporary things and I've lost the eternal things. Verse 21, when my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, oh Lord. See, folks on God will also show us who we really are, who we really are. He goes, oh God, once I sat with you, I realized you're looking at me going, what are you doing, kid? I've given you a purpose. I've given you the Holy Spirit to be salt and light. And you're, you're just acting like a brute beast. You're fighting for your own goals, your own citizenship, your own right. 
kid, what got into you? And I'm like, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm all, Asaph, I did the exact same thing. He goes, just sit there. I'm not done yet. I got something else to teach you. <laughs> Verse 23, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you're gonna take me into glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And on this earth, there is nothing I desire besides you. Why am I putting my desire in other things on this earth? Oh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God, God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. And those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. You see, God, you also show us who you really are. <laughs> he will show us who he really is. God, once I started to focus on you, I realized, why am I looking here? Now I know who you are. And because of that, Focusing on God will show us what we really have. What we really have. God is that relationship with you that is all that was needed. I lost that these last two years. I had to go to a beach in Mexico and find myself again. He says there's three priorities. Christian, listen to me. If you haven't turned me off already, because I said enough trap words, I probably said politics a couple times. I said culture. I probably named a political party. What else did I do that makes Christians lose their heart? And there's probably 30 things I've done right now. For those of you that are still watching, let me tell you what we can't afford to lose. Number one, our proximity to God. Our proximity to God. But as for me, it is good to be near God. This is how Asaph spent his last moments with me sitting by a pool in Mexico. He goes, Chris, here's what I've learned. It's just good for me to be near God. You know, in the last couple chapters of my life, he said, I lost my closeness. When I was caught up in the world and culture, when I was getting angry and bitter and upset about culture, you know what I was missing? I was missing my closeness to God. Oh, I may have still been a Christian, but I was a distant relation. It's just good, dear God. He said, and then this, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. That's my hiding place, my security. I write it on this way. Our provisions come from God. The three main priorities we can't lose is our proximity to God and our provisions from God. God, you are my security. You are my refuge. You are my hope. Not our culture, not our politics, not our government, not the economy right now. God, you are my refuge. I'm finding my value, my worth, my security and a bunch of temporary stuff. So when that temporary stuff gets messed with, I'm getting messed with. Oh, I gave my heart to this culture. No wonder it's been shredded. God, I'm hiding my heart in you right now. It's my closeness to you and you are gonna be my security. And then he says, and I will tell of all of your deeds. He got up as if to leave. And I go, Ace, where are you going? And he goes, I've given you all you need. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, <laughs> he said, I'm catching the next flight back home. I'm going to go worship with God's people. I'm going to tell of all of his deeds. You know what we find? Our purpose. <laughs> Our purpose in God. It's the name of the building you go to. It's the name that you click on. It's simply finding our purpose in God. Do you have that? 
Do you have a joy worth sharing today? Do you have something worth telling about today? Are you measuring God's blessings by how well things are going in life or your closeness to him? Christian, let me tell you, that right there is a game changer. If you are measuring God's blessings by how well things are going for you in your life, you're done. You forgot the calling. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. This is gonna be excruciating, challenge, sacrificing it sometimes, and you've gotta follow him. Well, it sounds like you're telling me I have to lose my life. Nope, he's telling us we gotta lose our life. It's the only way to gain it. And if we think blessings are things going better for us, my rights, my citizenship, my life, we've been deceived by the great deceiver. Blessings is, in spite of who I am and what I've done, I get to have a relationship simply because of God's grace and mercy with the almighty God. That's blessing. That's my heart. That's my refuge. And that's a story I can tell. Purpose, church. You need to get your heart back. If you do, I promise you, it's because your head's in the wrong place. It's caught up in culture. It's got you really depressed. Where our country's going, what our culture's doing. And then it got you looking at yourself. So why am I doing this? What's it for me? How come I'm not happy? How come ours isn't going? And that got you incredibly disappointed. You get an eternal vision. Stop the stinking thinking. Put your heart back on God, his love for you, what he has done, his calling in your life in spite of who you are. And I promise you, you still got a song to sing. You still have a story to tell. That's how the chief worship leader got his job back. And I closed up my book. I threw it in my backpack and I jumped in the pool. (laughs) And for the next 12 days, I played with my kids. I told my wife, I'm not quitting. I'm coming back fired up and I'm not gonna be about our culture. I'm gonna be about my calling once again. And it's been quite a ride since then. It's not my words. It's the word of God. If it worked for his people then, I really think it works for us today. Thanks for having me as a guest speaker, but I'm really one of your own purpose, church. For the few that hung into the very end, thanks for joining us today.